John chapter 4. John chapter 4. While you're turning there, i got a couple of quick announcements. Everybody listening? Amen. Okay. Tonight, we're going to be a mobile church. Whoever wants to come, we're going to be the church instead of meet at the church. Um, we have a, a couple in our community that is uh, new to the community. They're involved in ministry. And um, there's other people here in the church that know them. They're not part of our church, but... Um, they live right down here off, I think it's 2109. Anyhow, he was working, fell off of a roof, broke his pelvic, and some other stuff happened. He's going to be down for six months. Um, and they, the problem is she just had a baby, had a lot of complications. So the need is, we, we talked to him, my wife did, and they need, uh, she needs like the yard simply mowed, some weed eating, maybe brush hog, that kind of stuff. And um, some other stuff the ladies can do for her. So we're going to be here tonight about between 6 and 6.30 if you got a weed eater. If you don't want to come, that's cool. Um, but those who us, we come. We're not going to have a Bible study. We're going to have a yard meeting. All right? That's right, that's right. And so if you can come help with that, um, I think they uh, will meet here and go right down here. I think they have a tractor. I'm going to bring some diesel because they didn't handle diesel. And then I'm going to bring... My lawnmower, I'm kind of going this blind, but I'm, and weed eater and that kind of stuff, weed eater gas. Is there anything else on that we need to announce? Four kids. Helpful to have frozen foods. All right, then starting in August, let's see, the first Sunday in August, we're going to do some different stuff on Sunday nights, um, so don't just show up because we might not be here. Um, you know, the church has leased some land down the road, and we're in the process of starting to build a, a, a camp-type situation there for families, and it's in the rough stages, but so well, here's what we're going to do on the first Sunday night, if you help me remember, we're just going to do... The men's going to gather up down there. We're going to do a bow shoot. If you don't shoot bows, it's cool. Just come hang out with us. And then we're going to um, cook, right? We're going to do some cooking and eating. Me and my wife talked about it because last week when we was trying to figure out something for the ladies to do, it was like crickets in here. Nobody had nothing. So we might come up with something for the ladies to do. And I don't know, if y'all want to go there, you can go there. If you want to stay here, maybe ladies can get together and do something because it's, you know, kids and, and restrooms and all that for y'all. So if y'all want to come up with something, come up with something or... Or something, something, all right? Anyhow, and then the next week after that, we was going to, I don't know, Cole Hudson had something he was in charge of. Anyhow, we're going to do something that. And then the next week after that, we're going to have watermelon and ice cream. And uh, anyhow, a whole lot of eating and fellowshipping on Sunday nights during the month of August. Uh, so that we'll be having some of that on the announcements to kind of keep you better informed. But we will... Um, probably meet here at the church and then do what we're going to do so come and be a part of that if you don't know folks here that's where you get to know folks 
and we want you to be a part. You don't got to be a church member. It's not going to cost you anything. You know, on the nights we cook, bring something to eat, buy a watermelon, make some homemade ice cream, or get some good bluebell. What is that stuff? Blackberry? Southern blackberry cobbler. If you don't bring homemade, bring that. All right, in John chapter 4. Let's see if I can get it. Getting, I got the message that starting in is going to be is where I'm having difficulty. So let's just start it like this. Um, I want to define real quick what I mean by the term "lost," a lost person. Biblically, well, you know, a lot of times we use Bible terms. People don't even know what the Bible terms are. But the, when the Bible refers to a lost person, it's referring to a person who has not come to a, to the saving grace of God. They're a, they're a sinner, as we all are, okay? They're a sinner who has never come to the knowledge of the gospel that, that you're a sinner. Maybe you're hearing you're lost. If this defines you, this is what the Bible means by lost. That you're a sinner. All of us sin and come short of the glory of God. That you have no goodness to offer God because... Because of our sin, we're condemned. Every one of us condemned before God. Okay, If you die in your sin, not having been forgiven, not having come to, to trust Jesus as your Savior, you and anybody else who does that will die and go to a devil's hell created for the devil and his angels, not because God hates you, but because you rejected right. the grace that God died to give you. Okay? It's not a religious thing. It's, it's, it is, and you say, well, how do I know if I'm saved? If you've repented of your sin and you believe in what Jesus has done for you to forgive you of your sin, you trust in, in what Christ has done for you, the Bible says that you're born of his spirit. The spirit of God is in you. It testifies that you are a child of God. And so if you're true, truly saved, you ought to be able to look at your life. Here's what happens. Okay, It's not a church thing. It's not a religious thing. It's not just, well, I believe in God and I've been baptized. Nothing to do with none of that, okay? To be born again, your greatest verification of that is that Christ is in you. His Spirit is in you. That means He is in you. His heart is in you. His will is in you. His desires are in you. And yes, though you do still fall and you fail, you have to say, is that side in me? I'm always going to have the sinful side until I get out of this flesh, but I also have to look and go, is Christ in me? Do I have a desire for righteousness? Do I have a love for lost people? Do I have a, a, a heart of obedience to God's word? Do I want to know God? Do I love God? Do I love God's word? Do I love God's ways? Do I sin? Yes, I do. And I repent of that and I turn away from that continually in my life. Do I love Jesus? Do I love God's word? Do I love people? That has to be there. If that's not there, then you're not his. Okay, so so if you're not his, that's the term lost, all right? <clears throat> and so I wanted to start with that and kind of go uh, out of John chapter 4 because here's a question, and a few people have asked me here lately, maybe it's because summertime comes and church falls out and, and we got, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and yes, I, I've had I've went through some frustration. Some of you, I feel your frustration, and, and you know, and I, I have, but I'm not frustrated right now. And so the question that's posed to me is, so what is your vision for the church? So I've thought about that, you know, and I went from I have no vision to I have a very clear vision at this point. And I'm going to share that vision with you because I think we've been asking the wrong question, so we're getting the wrong answer. 
And uh, we're going to look in John chapter 4 because here's the thing. If we're Christians, we're born again, Christ is in us, I would have to say that my desire should be his desires. The church is all about what Jesus wants, not I what, what I want. That that the very heartbeat of Christ should be the heartbeat of every person here. It's not about my vision. It's about what's your vision because you're the church, okay? And so in this, let's look and get the answer in John chapter 4. It says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees uh, heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee but needed to go through Samaria. Now understand... This is a days and days of the Lord and his disciples doing ministry. Multitudes of people come to him, preaching, baptizing, teaching. Okay, so they're bombarded. It's, you know, if you don't think it's work, dig into it and try it yourself. So it's like they're mentally, physically taxed, drained. And now they're fixing to make a long walk, very difficult walk from Judea to uh, Galilee, and on the way, they're going through Samaria. Now, for time's sake, you know, Jews and Samaritans hated each other. <clears throat> they didn't even walk through Samaria. They would go around, cross over the Jordan, go up, and come back in just to avoid Samaria. That's how bad the Jews hated Samaritans, okay? But Jesus said, we're going through Samaria. I have a need. I must, I must. Now, I think I'm going to, but I must go through Samaria. Why? Because it was the Father's will for him to go through Samaria. What was in Samaria? <clears throat> he said, so he came to a city of Samaria, Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, if you underline stuff in your Bible, underline, being wearied. Being worn, being tired, physically, emotionally drained after days and days of people taxing on him. He was wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. And you know, according to the Jewish hours, that's 12 o'clock. That's straight up noon. At noon, if he's like me and he was in the flesh, he's like you, what happens at noon? Every day there's an alarm clock goes off for me at 1030 that says I'm getting hungry. I'm getting tired. I'm tired of fooling with what I'm fooling with. I want to eat. I want to take a break. I don't want to think about nothing. I'm thirsty. I'm hot. If y'all don't do that, come and work with me for tomorrow. Okay? You'll figure that out quick. Okay? And so he was wearied. And so you can imagine at this point, the point I want to make is he's, his flesh is taxing on him, wearing on him, going, feed me. Give me something to drink. Jesus didn't live in a, in a miraculous body where he didn't have that. He, he was just like us. He got hungry. He's weak, his sugar levels dropped, all those things that was working on him at this point in time, okay? But here's the thing. Let's go, I'm going to read through and I'm going to back up and comment. It says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now notice, what well, here's where the church, for his disciples had gone away in the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you the living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where did, then do you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as 
as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. Eternal security. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. He's talking about the Holy Spirit in a believer continually growing, continually stirring, continuing to give you and grow you in life. Okay, spiritually. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, Go out or go and call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, said, I have no husband. And Jesus said, You have well said. You're being honest with me. I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. So this woman was living with a man. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship in this mountain, and the Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain uh, or nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation of the Jews, but the hour is coming now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah, the Savior, is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at that point, his disciples came, and they marveled, and he talked with that he talked with the woman because it was not normal for a man to talk to a woman, a stranger, especially. Yet no one said, "What do you seek?" or "Why are you talking with her?" The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, "Come and see a man who told me all the things I ever did. Could this be the Christ?" And then they went out from the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him to eat. Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one of those, anyone brought him something to eat? Anybody bring him a Big Mac we didn't know about? Verse 34, Jesus said, my food. Notice what he said. I want you to underline this, highlight this, whatever you got to do in your mind. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, when you back up and you look at this, this text of scripture here, like I said, Jesus was worn and weary and tired and, and, uh, when I started studying this and I was praying a little about the whole vision thing and that kind of stuff, and here's where I'm at. Um, we're asking the wrong question when we ask somebody what their vision is because number one, it ain't about me. And I know I'm in a leadership role at church, but this, this is not about my vision. It's not about your vision. Here's the question we need to ask. Not is what your vision for the church, but what is God's vision for the lost? What is God's vision? That's the best, I think that's a really simple answer. What is God's vision for the lost? Because once we figure that out, we've got our church vision. Any and everything to do with Jesus' ministry did not revolve around a social club or or 900 other ministries or all these different things. A lot of times churches have going on, and I'm not against ministries. I, you know, there's the purpose for all of them. But above all, okay, I know Jesus did a lot of things. He healed the sick, and he and he gave sight to the blind, and he and he, you know, all the different things that Jesus involved, and he helped people, and he comforted people, and all those things. But even in that, in in, in the book of John, he said all of these 
signs and wonders that he did was in order that you might believe that he is the Son of God and in believing that you might have eternal life. Everything that he did, everything that he spoke, revolved totally, ultimately around one thing, one purpose, one vision, and that is, I came to seek and save that which is lost. Everything to do with Jesus was all about reaching lost people, bringing the light into darkness, bringing the hope of the gospel to people, to seek and save sinners. That was his number one and still is his number one priority. That's the very heartbeat of God is to save sinners. And so in that, I would have to say, as a church, as a, as a believer individually, that the very thing, even though I, you know, I think it's great that we go, like tonight, and help somebody, and we show love to people, and that we build up and love one another, and edify and encourage, and all those things. If you want to just boil the fat off of everything, go, what's the purpose of the church? First, foremost, priority above all things in my life as a believer, which, which entails everything else, okay? It's not just about you having a personal relationship with Jesus where you sit down and have a cup of coffee with the Lord, okay? That's not in the scripture. What is in the scripture is Jesus come walking by and said, this is where I'm going. Follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm not just making you friends of Jesus. I'm not just coming together so that I can correct some things in your life, so that I can give you a better life here, so that I can fix your family. I'm going to a cross, And the Bible actually said, Jesus said, unless you are willing to bear a cross, your cross, you cannot be my disciple. Now that's a hard word. Jesus said, if you're not willing to bear a cross, if you're not willing, he actually said, if you're not willing to hate your father and your mother and your son and your daughter and all those different things, then you cannot be my disciple. I said, what does he mean by that? He said, if I'm not number one, if I'm not priority, if my mission is not first and foremost, you can't be my disciple. It's a little bit different than what we hear. But when you look at the scripture, that's what he says. He said, Christianity is not about you getting, you know, a warm, fuzzy feeling on Sundays and, and, and going back to your life and Jesus sitting down with you during the week and going, you know, how, how are things going? Well, Lord, having some trouble financially. Oh, man, don't worry. I'll, I'll provide for you. Okay. What else? Well, Lord, you know, I have some people in church that's gnawing on me and that kind of stuff, God. Well, don't, don't, buddy, it's okay. I'll take care of you. Just crawl up in my lap and let me hug you. That's American. That's what's being projected. Jesus said, you know what I got for you, buddy? I've got a cross. I've got people who's going to hate you for my name's sake. I've got people who are going to despise you and reject you because you love me. Now, the Lord's all about loving you, and he's a loving father, and I'm not belittling those things. And we do have a personal walk with Jesus. But let me, let me throw a shocker in here for everybody, because here's, here's part of my vision. I want to make you so uncomfortable. Because if, when we look at what Jesus did, because if Jesus was all about his comfort, he would have went and hung out with the disciples, you know, at the coffee shack, ate a hamburger, and talked about life. He didn't do that. He said, y'all, y'all go on. I got something far more important here. I've got an opportunity that I'm going to take no matter how tired I am, no matter how weary I am, no matter how much I've got going on. I don't have time for a break right now. Because I've got a mission. The church should be mission-minded believers. Let's not just put this as a group. As individual believers, if I've got the heart of Jesus in me, 
I should have, I should be on a mission to go. I, I have to come to the reality here that there are people that are perishing, dying, gonna burn in the lake of fire every day. And the only thing between them and that is where God has placed us as believers to speak the gospel to those people. God doesn't just zap people and save them. He give us a place as mediating between Him and the lost to go, you represent me. You give them the gospel. How will they be saved that they don't hear? It's what it says in Romans chapter 10. How can they, how can they be saved if they don't hear? Well, Lord, we're hoping you're just going to, we're going to pray and you're going to do something. He's like, I did. I put you in their path. And until you get the same heart of God, people are perishing. People in churches are perishing. We've got opportunities with young people that God's blessed us with and it's coming up and a lot of times you go, well, I'm just tired and I'm weary and that's not for me and da da da. And those opportunities are coming through and they're going out and they're going to perish. Here's the, here, here's the true God, the, what I want to get you, the truth this morning is this. We've got this mentality that we, we, we really don't like to put hell and we want to put it far back in the recesses of our mind and not think that anybody goes there other than really, really bad people who are behind bars and that kind of stuff. Okay, that's for, Here's the truth. If you have a baby and that child is, there's not a certain age. If that child is, you know, fourth, fifth grade, sixth grade, they're fully accountable for the gospel. They're fully accountable. They understand sin, especially if they've come here, they've heard the truth. Hopefully as a parent, if you're a good parent, they've heard it from you. And they know that they're wrong. And at that point in time, no matter what the age, they become accountable to the Lord just as an adult. And if that person dies understanding what sin is, understanding that they, that their sin, they're accountable for that sin, if that sixth grader dies, they will go to hell like a 50 year old murderer. That's the God's honest biblical truth. That doesn't set well with us. Because here's the, why, why, why are you telling us that? So we do something about it. So we get real, okay? Every teenager that dies doesn't go to heaven. Every young person that dies doesn't go to heaven. Every old person that dies doesn't go to heaven. Hell is full of people. Full of people. The Bible says, as far as those who are saved, it says there's very few. Heaven's going to have few, way fewer than hell's going to have. And until the church comes back to a place where we recognize this is not about, uh, you know, a gathering and, and let's make the worship better and let's do this better and let's all these, did nothing wrong with those things. I'm all about that. But here's the thing. If the church loses sight and we're like the disciples to where we're like, I don't, you know, I don't have time for Samaria in my life. You know, I don't, I just, we forget the woman. You know, that's a different kind of woman. We don't want to be involved with those kind of people. We don't want to go to those places that make me feel uncomfortable. The church has taken and made Christianity so comfortable that what we've done is we've taken the cross that was given for us to bear, we've wrapped it in padded leather, put accessories on it, and turned it into a pew. That's what we've done. If we want to be honest this morning. And I hope this makes you very uncomfortable because until we come uncomfortable, people are going to continue to die and go to hell. People that you know, people that you don't know, people that you love, people that you work with, people that you've shared the gospel with before and they didn't hear it. Just because you said it once don't mean they don't need to hear it again. Because here's the thing. If you take a person who is who has been diagnosed to be terminal, physically terminal, what usually happens is they'll they'll connect that person with what's called hospice. Hospice will come in or they will be put in hospice, okay? And then they will be made comfortable until they pass. A church that loses sight of the Samaritan woman. A believer who loses sight of the lost. 
We don't pray for them. We don't fast for them. We don't beg for them. We don't prepare for them. We don't speak to them. We don't look at them. We just church it. We fellowship. We have our ministry. We have our group. We read our Bible. We go to 40 conferences a year. Bible study after Bible study. We sit around. We talk about the Lord to other people, but we never speak the gospel truth to the lost. We are no different than a person in hospice being made comfortable until we pass. It's called a dead church. And we're knocking on the doors of it. You know, one of the things I thought about this week, been in ministry now for working on 21 years almost, I'm not going to be hard on my statistic, but I can tell you this, less than less than five. One hand, I can count on one hand. How many people in 20 years have come to me from one of my churches that I pastored to go, Brother Randall, I want to sit down with you and you teach me how to lead somebody to Jesus. I want you to help me. I want you to teach me the scripture. I want you to go with me. I want you to pray with me because I've got a brother, a sister, a mother, a father, a friend, a co-worker, strangers I don't even know that's passing by me. And I want to be like Jesus because when I look at Jesus, I see that he has that heart. Everything to do with Jesus. He was even willing, willing to forsake his disciples to go to these lost people. He was willing to be crucified. He was willing to, to take, you know, a day after day of people verbally attacking him and speaking negative things to him and just degrading him every day for the purpose of lost people. So Brother Randall, I want to be, I want to have the heart, I want to be equipped and prepared so that I can reach lost people. And to sit down with that person and disciple them, that's what the Bible says we should be doing as a church. It's the only purpose. To disciple those people and then go out and then the next Sunday they come back and go, all right, this is what, I talked to this person, I talked to this person, this is what they said, you know, I didn't have an answer. Okay, let's sit down and let's, let's look at the scripture together and you know, I'll be glad to go with you and other people gather up and, all right, this week we're gonna pray and we're gonna pray over these lost people and we're gonna go out this week and we're gonna share with them. We're gonna actually speak what we say we believe. I, less than five, I don't even remember one time, if you know the truth, but less than five times. Some of you might be saying, hey, I did that. There's a difference going, hey, I want to be discipled. And then getting into it. Less than, less than five people in 20 years in, in churches who have the heartbeat of Jesus. That's a pretty rough statistic, ain't it? Especially when the Bible said we are, we are to be burning lamps. We're the light of the world. We're a city on the hill. We're the salt of the earth. We're, we're to be witnesses of the gospel. And I know people don't like messages like this, but, but I'm just bringing us back to a place of reality here to where we go, let's, let's stop making comfortable excuses. You know, who's comfortable going up to a stranger and saying, man, let me ask you a question. Are you a born again believer? Do you know Jesus? Nobody's, I'm not comfortable with that. Who's comfortable to go and talk to somebody in your family that might get hacked off at you and, and go on about their way? Who's going to be comfortable on the day of judgment when you watch your family who you never spoke to cast into a lake of fire? Who said Christianity had anything to do with comfort whatsoever? I mean, we're so, we want to be so comfortable. Like, I want the AC just right. I'm with you. I want padded, you know, padded seats. I want a comfortable message. This is not one. I want to make sure that when I leave, I'm comfortably, you know, living my life. I want to have a comfortable relationship with God. Don't even probe and, and picking and, and looking and removing and tearing and humbling and all those things that the Bible talks about. I just want to be comfortable. And I want to go to a comfortable church. And above all, I want to live a comfortable life. Really. Will you please show me that in the scripture? Because the last time I checked, when you signed up with Jesus, you signed up to get a sword. 
And you signed up for war. And you signed up because God was so good to us that by his grace he saved us from a devil's hell. Shouldn't that impact my life to go, there's obviously a bunch of other people out here who need that. And don't give me this junk about, well, nobody wants to hear it. Yes, they do. And God will bring people. I'm not talking about going annoying evangelism where you go to somebody at supper time and go, yeah, I don't know you, but do you know Jesus? I'm not talking about that. That ruined the church in the 80s. It ruined it. I'm talking about divine appointments where you're so burdened that you pray like you see here. This is a divine appointment. God the Father bringing Jesus into the pathway of this Samaritan woman that the Holy Spirit is dealing with, and he connects the two. That's evangelism. That's when you pray, God, I have this person at work, I have this person in my family. God, I don't even know. It's not just about people we know. Lord, there's people pass by me every day. If you can possibly bring me into the pathway of someone that you're drawing, God, and give me courage, and give me boldness, and give me love for that person, that I'll open my wretched mouth and tell them of the same hope that you saved me with. God, please use me in that way. It will happen. It will happen no matter where you are. But you've got to be ready and desiring. You know, and I think that prayer aligns us with the will of God. And if we're not praying for the lost, why would God bring anybody in your pathway? He's like, man, I sent 500 people by you last year. You didn't say anything to anybody. You sing at church. You do your Bible studies. You can quote the book of Habakkuk. <laughs> but you never shared the gospel. Wouldn't it be horrible? I, just want, I mean, and I am. This is an encouraging message. I do want to make you uncomfortable, but I'm not trying to down you. I'm trying to go, come on, people. If we're going to call ourselves the church. If we want a vision, this is my vision. My vision is not bigger buildings and entertainment and, and you know, everything, you know, blah, blah. If that's what, if that's what, and it's not, this is not the church vision. But if it was, I'm like, I'm not at the right place. Because when I got into ministry, when the Lord called me to preach, I wasn't sitting there thinking, man, I am going to build the best children's ministry, I can't, I'm gonna to put together, I wanna to put together a church that's just, where the worship is just booming and it's awesome and, and you know, we all just, everybody's happy and friends and we just Facebook. That didn't cross my mind not one time if you can believe that. You know what crossed my mind? I have an opportunity given to me by the king of the universe to share Jesus with lost people. That's it. That's all, that's my only vision. Because above all, I would hate for me personally to stand before the Lord on the day of judgment and him go, you know what? Worship improved. And y'all people hung out good and you got along. Nice building you built. You tell anybody about me? Lord, that made me feel really uncomfortable. Did you encourage your people to be witnesses like I told you to in Matthew 28? You know, Lord, that's a really hard verse. Those people didn't like that. People didn't want to hear that. You know, that, you know, that, that just didn't go in my day. You think the Lord's gonna be like, well done, good and faithful servant. You think so? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I think the Lord's gonna be like, you missed the main thing. You didn't keep the main thing the main thing. Buildings and shazams and entertainment and people leaving comfortable. That's not what he's about, obviously. I mean, there was even one point in time where in the book of John chapter 6 where he was followed by many disciples and he was, he was teaching a hard lesson. He said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And he's talking about trusting in him, spirit, speaking words spiritually here. And it said, this is a hard saying. Many of his disciples chose not to follow him anymore. You know what he did? He looked at the ones that was left, which was the 12. He said, what about you? You going? He didn't say, wait, 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 wait. We're going to make it a little bit more comfortable for you. We're going to make this easier for you. He said, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to do the will of the Father. What is the will of the Father? For him to go and be crucified on a cross for sinners. 
to be buried and rise again and to defeat death and hell. And the work of the Father. You know what? I thought, work? You mean to tell me being a Christian means work? Work's not fun. The work of the Father isn't always fun. You know, some people want to try to appeal to your flesh and go, it's just all shicks and giggles. You know, when you, when you do this ministry, it's going to be wonderful. And life's going to be wonderful. No, it's not. No, it's not at all. It's going to be a headache most of the time. It's going to be things that you pray about and things that you get sick over and things that you, that you fast over and things that you feel defeated in. And, but then there's going to be those times where you see the victories and you see the work of God and you see the Holy Spirit come through and you see people saved and snatched out of an eternity of the devil's hell and you see marriages restored and you see kids' lives transformed and you see people grow up not to be like the culture and like, this is what I'm about. That's my vision. And that's what Jesus is about. And that's what I want to align my life and my ministry with. And so as a church, I'm to a place to go, if we're not about reaching lost people, then we need to get on our face. Because you don't gauge the life of a church by how many people are here and how comfortable you are. You gauge the life of the church by how many people are continuing to come. What's your hope for the church in five years? This church building full from people that you've led to Jesus. That's my vision for five years. And that's what my desire is. It's not, hey, you know, preacher, we're kind of falling off, so we need to get a different preacher. Fine. You know, it's, not, it's not about me anyhow, but here's what I want to say. You know, all these churches, you see preachers come in, preachers go out, preachers come in, go out, and the church get excited when the new preacher comes along, and then after a while, bleh. You know what the deal is? It's the preachers who are excited. You hear what I'm saying? If the church was alive, it don't matter what preacher you got. They're reaching people. They're reproducing. They're... And all, all the pastor's doing is encouraging and teaching and preparing and equipping and doing those biblical things. But if a church comes along, a new pastor, and all of a sudden people are saved and baptized, it's because he's leading them to the Lord, not the church. The church, we all, me first, number one, we need to be revived and come back to the reality of the hell, and, but the reality of his power of the gospel to save people. There's nobody that's hopeless. And so... Let me make sure. And let's drop down a verse. I don't read all. That. I do want to say this. I'm not. I'm not knocking any ministry. Okay. Don't don't leave here and go. He said my ministry is not important. No. I say your ministry is secondary, as well as my ministry. If it's not reaching lost people, because right here this lady said, you know, I've had five husbands, and the one Jesus actually told her, you've had five husbands, one you with not. He could have stopped right there and went, you know what we're going to do? We're going to have a marriage conference. I'm going, to, I'm going to give you the five principles of how to have a better marriage. Then she went on and she, she tried to change the subject to worship. Well, hold on, sister. Now that we've taken, covered marriage, let's have a, we're going to do a seven-week study on true worship. What we do, when we, he didn't do it. You know what he did? He went whoosh, 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 boom, right to the heart. Because here's the thing. The church focuses on all this, a lot of stuff, you know, marriages, and those things are good. Okay, and I focus on that a lot. We want bear marriage. I want love. I need. I need, what I need to do is I need as a Christian. I need to learn how to love my wife, and I need to learn how to treat my husband. I need to learn how to, how to love my my kids. But, but here's what I say: If I so had the love of Jesus for lost strangers that I don't know, if I possess that, wouldn't it be just common sense to go? It'd be a whole lot easier to love my wife who I do know, right? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that make sense? If I had that kind of love for lost people who reject me and despise me, love my wife, pretty simple. Maybe that's the point he's trying to make. And then finishing up, because everybody's so excited about this. Y'all with me? 
He says in verse 27, At this point his disciples came and marveled that he talked with this woman. What do you seek? Or what are you talking with her? The woman left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Now, now, if, if we're going to look on down. He talks about in verse 32, but he said to them, I have food to eat, which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, think about the cost of your comfort. If you'll give me about three minutes, I'll be done. Five minutes, okay? The cost of your comfort. What if Jesus would have said, man, I'm tired. This is so inconvenient. This just doesn't go with my schedule. I've got a lot of things going on. I'm going to go hang out with the disciples. I just want to chill. And he would have went with them. What would have been the cost? Do the math. This lady would have perished. And not only her, but a whole village here in just a second. If you keep reading, you'll see they come up and, and, and most of them trusted in Jesus as their Savior. And then the, their kids and their generations. How many people would have died from Jesus going, I'm just tired. It's just not for me. i got too much going on. I don't have time to, to invest in lost people. Crazy folk we don't even like to start with. There's a cost for our comfort. There's a cost for me going, well, I'm glad nobody rejected me. I'm glad I wasn't embarrassed. I'm glad I didn't get put in a place where I couldn't make an answer for their question. You know, I'm just, I'm really comfortable here. That way I can hide what I, you know, say I know and I fit in with everybody in the crowd on Sundays. And, you know, I'm, you know, I got, to, got in and got out of church 15 minutes. I'm comfortable with that. And, and, and I'm comfortable, you know, I, I, I'm so busy. I'm too busy to talk to lost people. Why? Because I've got to have a comfortable life. I've got to work all the time, have all the time, go all the time, do all the time, get away all the time. I don't have time for lost people. I just, just want a comfortable living. Don't I deserve that since I work so hard? There's a cost. There's a great cost for the church living comfortably. And, and then finishing up, notice what Jesus does. Not only does he have a vision, but he, but he puts it on them. Verse 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you say, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you. Now, remember, this time this lady's bringing back all these Samaritan people. Lift up your eyes. Jesus said, I want you to look at these people. I want you to see what I see. I want you to see the opportunity that's coming before you. Because I didn't put you together as a group to be a social club that's waiting on the kingdom to fall and for you to rule. I put you together and I've instilled in you, not only saved you, but gave you the truth so that you can reach those people who's coming up here to you. Those people you normally despise. Those people who you normally avoid. Those people who you look down upon. Those people who are not welcome in the temple. I've brought you out here to come to them. To humble yourself and show them love. And to give them the truth and the grace that has saved you. Open your eyes. Lift up your eyes and look at the fields. For they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages. Gathers fruit for eternal life. That both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you have not labored. Others have labored and have you, you have entered into their labors. And so here's the thing about evangelism. It's not about you beating somebody down with the gospel. It's not about they have, well I didn't do it if they didn't receive it. One sows. Another reaps. You might sow a seed this week and talk to somebody about the Lord and they don't want to hear it. But you know what? God might continue to work on them and send somebody else you don't even know to share the gospel with them. 
and they trust in Jesus. One sows, one reaps, both get rewards. So finishing this, here's my question for this morning. First and foremost, if you're here this morning and you never trusted in Jesus, I love you enough to tell you the truth. The truth is this, every one of us are lost. The Bible said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. At one point in time in our, in our lives, even if we're the greatest saint in the world today, we're only that because of the grace of God. And I don't think any of us fit that, that place, but, but here's the thing. At one point in time in our life, we were all headed to hell and deserving of it. And if you're here and you don't know Christ your Savior, you, you look at your life and go, I don't have the heart of Jesus. I got baptized when I was 12. But do I love lost people? No. Do I pray for lost people? No. Do I love God's word and, and saturate my life with it? No. But, uh, you know, I did that. That's, that's not salvation. You're still lost. If you don't have Christ in you, according to Romans chapter 8, read it yourself. That if you do not have his spirit, you are not his. That's what it says. But I did this and I did that. If you do not have his spirit, you're not his. And you are condemned. That means if you if your heart stops beating today. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just telling you the truth. If you leave here and somebody swerves over or you choke at El Toro on a chip and you fall out in the floor and you die, you will be in hell and torment. Luke 16, check it. In, in, in hell, the rich man opened up his eyes in flame and torment. No second chances. No talk your way out of it. No, I had good intentions. You're one of two things. Alive, dead, lost, saved, forgiven, condemned. But the good news is, that's, that's why Christ has you here. You ain't here because you chose to. You're here because God loved you enough to send somebody to invite you. Or he's drawn you because you're, you're, you're looking for something. You know what that means? He's like, I have a drink for you. I'll give you this water. You humble yourself and you turn to me. I'll save you. You'll never thirst again. He didn't say, I might give it to you. He said, I will give it to you. You humble yourself right where you are right now. You don't got to wait for an invitation. Right where you are in your heart before God, God, I'm that person. I'm lost. And I want your salvation. I want. I believe. I'm asking you to save my soul. God, save you right there. And you ain't going to feel no, uh, or nothing like that. God saves you because he promised you he would. Okay? Give your life to Jesus right now. You don't need me to do that or an invitation. You don't got to come up here. Don't even come up here unless you just want to tell everybody. That's why you come up here. But it, but it, but, but here's the thing. If you're a Christian, you're here this morning. Say, I'm, I'm a born again believer. I have God's spirit. I have the heart of Jesus. When is the last time? Let's just let's just do a check. When is the last time that you went to a lost person and you shared the hope of the gospel with that person? Not invited them to church. But you loved them enough to tell them about Jesus. Maybe you're not a theologian and you don't have to be. Maybe you don't quote all the scriptures, but maybe you loved them enough to go, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Because you need Him. He'll give you life. He'll forgive you. Save your soul. Have a home in glory. To give them some kind. When's the last time have you ever, or when's the last time that you did? Who is your, who's your woman at the well? And a lot of you right now, you've got it. I know you. Oh yeah, I've talked to people. I've shared the gospel. And the person actually come to Jesus. Here's the mentality if we're not careful that we take on. We have a, we're, we're saved and all of a sudden we have somebody we love, somebody we know that's lost. And so we pray for those people and we, we prepare and we go to those people and we tell them and they, they trust in Jesus and we're like, yeah! Jesus didn't leave. You know what he did? He looked up and he said, we got a whole field out here. 
wasn't just about one person, not just about your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter, your aunt, your uncle, your grandma, your grandpa, your friend at work. Now that you've led them, guess what? I'm going to bring a whole group to you, people you don't know. How many of you have prayed for people that you don't know this week? God, I'm surrounded by people I don't know who's going to die and go to hell. That's the reality. Obviously such a fearful place that you was willing to torment and crucify your son to save us from that. Please, God, let my heart. And if your heart's calloused and hardened, then just be honest. Lord, I hadn't hadn't witnessed. I hadn't told nobody about you. I've preached to people. I've done the programs. I've helped people. But when's the last time I got down to the nitty-gritty blood of the cross with a lost person, a sinner, and told them of the hope that you've given me? Because if I don't do that, Lord, they could die. And they could go to hell because of that. Why don't we repent? Why don't we all come to the Lord's vision and go, I don't know about anything else, but I can do that. And I'm going to start telling lost people. And I'm going to start praying God to move. And by the way, tomorrow at 630, we're going to start having a prayer meeting up here. And this is what we're going to be praying about if you want to come. If you don't, that's cool. So will you stand with your head bowed and your eyes closed and let's have a time of prayer. Maybe you got somebody that's lost that you need to pray for. I would encourage you to pray for yourself, that God prepares you and gives you the courage and the love and the boldness to go to that person and share the hope that you've been given. Father, we bow before you this morning. We thank you for mercy. God, we thank you for your mercy on us that none of us deserve. We come to you in the name of Jesus because it's through Christ we receive that grace and mercy. Pray over this crowd. If there's somebody here that doesn't know you as their Savior, Lord, that they recognize Lord, their soul hangs in the balances. God, what a what a horrible place to be. Lord, thank you for the hope that you've given not only us, but them this morning right where they stand, that they can bow at the foot of the cross and trust you as their Savior, be forgiven and free. Walk away a new person, alive, born of your Spirit. And God is your people. Lord, let us not be a hospice church. God, I pray that you would stir in us and awaken us and bring us to see how you see and give us your heart. Don't want to be a social gathering. Lord, I want to be a people who are burdened. Realize that the opportunities given us hold such a weight that we'd be faithful stewards of the gospel. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.